the job description for Titus was to set things in order. That's a medical term. The root word in Greek is ortho, which means to make straight. Like an orthodontist who straightens crooked teeth, and like an orthopedic surgeon who straightens crooked and broken bones, Titus was to straighten crooked and broken churches. Churches, as we saw last week, that had been twisted by a lack of organization. Churches that had been twisted by a lack of sound teaching and the infiltration of false teaching. And churches that had been twisted by a lack of standards with people living sinful lives no different than the world around them. That was Titus's assignment. Now, if you're going to straighten out twisted churches, where do you start? Well, look at verse 5 again. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Paul writes to Titus to re-emphasize what he already told him. And he told him to begin by appointing the right kind of leaders. You start at the top. There's a story about a community that was built on a high mountain. And people used to like to walk out to the edge of the precipice and enjoy the beautiful view of the valley below. But they had a problem. People kept falling off. And in some places there was a deep or a steep drop and people would fall several hundred feet to their death. And in other places there was a graduated slope and people would tumble and careen down to the bottom of the mountain. And after several children and adults had fallen off the mountain, they had a meeting to decide what to do. And they decided to buy several ambulances and park them at the bottom of the mountain. And so they did. And for several years, they expeditiously rushed the dead to the morgue and the injured to the hospital. But then someone came up with another idea. Why not build a fence on the edge of the precipice? And so they did. And their casualties ceased. What's the point? The church tends to park its efforts at the bottom of the hill. The church tends to pick up the bruised and the bleeding at the bottom rather than building a fence at the top. And let me suggest this morning that the fence at the top is godly men in leadership. When they are established, it acts as a protection for the church because people follow leaders. And Jesus said in Luke 6.40 that everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. We reproduce ourselves. And if the standard is not set at the top, we will spend all of our time picking up pieces at the bottom. And Paul obviously understood that because the first thing on Titus's agenda is appointing elders. Now I want you to notice four things about these leaders. Number one, their titles. Verse 5 calls them elders. That's the Greek word presbyteros. It was a common word used for older men. 
And it points here to the maturity of the individual. But then there's a second title used, and that's in verse 7. Speaking to the, about the same group of people, he says, For the overseer must be above reproach. That's the Greek word episkopos. Epi means over, scopus means to look. And so this was the person who oversaw the church. The first word elder speaks of the nature of the individual, maturity. The second word, overseer, speaks of the nature of the work. He oversees the church. That second word is also translated oftentimes by our word bishop. And so bishops, elders, overseers are all titles for the same position. And just to reinforce that, I want you to take your Bible and look at Acts chapter 20 for just a moment. Acts chapter 20. And verse 17, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And then he begins to speak to them and he gives them the example of how he has ministered to them. And he gets down to verse 28 and he begins to exhort them. And he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He calls them elders in verse 17, Overseers in verse 28, they are the same people. Interchangeable titles. In fact, if you look back at verse 28, it says, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. And that's the verb form of our word pastor. And so here you have these individuals who are leaders in the church. They're referred to as elders, overseers, bishops, pastors. All interchangeable terms for the same people. You say, well, I thought bishops were over several churches and part of the hierarchy. No. Bishops are leaders in the local church, synonymous with elders. You say, well, what do you call the people in the hierarchy? Well, there is no hierarchy. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18 says, He is also head of the body, the church. Christ is the head of the church. He is the ultimate authority. And we are the body. And there is no hierarchy in between. God doesn't need one because He is omnipresent. And so for this church, headquarters is in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4 says that he is the chief shepherd of his flock. And directly under him are under shepherds or pastors or elders or overseers or bishops. You name it, they're interchangeable. Secondly, I want you to see their number. Titus 1.5 calls them elders, plural. And in the New Testament, you will find that that word elders is always in the plural form, except where it's speaking about a particular individual, like 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1, where Peter calls himself your fellow elder. The leadership of the local church always rests in a plurality of men. Speaking of Paul and Silas in Acts 14, 23, it says, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church. Elders, plural, in every church, singular. 
That's the pattern for the New Testament. In the passage we just read, Acts 20, verse 17, it says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders, plural, of the church, singular. Look at Philippians chapter 1 with me for just a moment. Philippians chapter 1. Paul's writing to this church and it says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. He writes to the saints and he mentions also the overseers, plural. You say, well, it was kind of rude of him not to mention the pastor, the one individual who was leading. Well, there was no one individual that was leading. And so he writes to the saints, including the overseers, the leaders of the church. You say, well, maybe... I mean, he just addresses the saints in Philippi. Maybe there were several churches in Philippi. No. Look at chapter 4 and verse 15. Philippians 4, 15. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. There was one church in Philippi with plural leadership. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Plural leadership. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 says, Obey your leaders, plural, and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Hebrews 13, 24 says, Greet all your leaders, plural. James chapter 5 and verse 14 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for who? The elders, plural, of the church, singular. Scripture is very clear that there is to be a plurality of leaders in each local church. You say, well, why did God design it that way? Why did God want there to be a plurality of leaders? We know when Jesus chose the men that he would hand the baton to to start the church, he didn't pick one man. He picked 12 men. He picked a plurality of leaders. And those leaders were formed the leadership for the early church. And I think there are several reasons for plural leadership. One is shared responsibility. Whenever there is a challenging task or a difficult decision to be made, there is a team of godly men to make it. In Acts chapter 15, there was a great issue in the early church about how to deal with the Gentiles. What did they do? They came together as apostles and elders and they made that decision as a godly team. Shared responsibility. Secondly, is shared accountability. If you've got one man as a leader and he gets off track, what happens? He leads the whole church astray. If you've got a group of godly men and one goes astray, what happens? The others check and balance him. They hold him accountable. Peter went to Antioch in Galatians chapter 2. And he was down there eating with the Gentiles and fellowshipping with the Gentiles. He was having ham sandwiches and pork chops and enjoying it all. And a few Jews came from Jerusalem. And it says he backed away from the Gentiles and stopped eating with them. And it says even Barnabas joined him in his hypocrisy. 
Now, if Peter had been the sole leader of the church, he would have had a split church at that point. But what happens? Paul says, I confronted him to his face. Here's another apostle able to come to that apostle and correct him, hold him accountable. And thirdly, you have shared strengths. In one man, you get one man's strengths and gifts. In a plurality of leaders, you get a combination of strengths and gifts. All 12 apostles had the same position. All 12 will sit on thrones in the kingdom of God, but they are not carbon copies of each other. Some were more prominent than others. In fact, in the New Testament, you'll find four lists of the apostles. One in Matthew, one in Mark, one in Luke, and one in Acts. If you look at those lists, it's very interesting because they are always in three groups of four. And the same four are always in each group. Now, their names move around a little bit, but what's interesting is the first person in each one of those groups is always the same. Now, you're very familiar with the first group. That's Peter, James, John, and Andrew. But in the second group, I bet you can only name a couple. And in the third group, I bet you can't name any of them except the last one, and that's Judas. You see, they were all apostles, but some were more prominent than others. In the early chapters of Acts, we find that Peter and John were always together doing things. But you know what's interesting? We don't have any sermons by John. You say, well, well, was he incapable of preaching? No. His nickname was Son of Thunder. And when he got his chance, we find out that he wrote the Gospel of John, three epistles, and Revelation. He had a lot to say. But you see, Peter had the more prominent gift. And he was out front. And it's also interesting, when you come to Acts chapter 15, you find that Peter was not heading up the council at Jerusalem. Who was? James, the brother of our Lord, which tells us that he apparently had a stronger gift in the area of administration. You see, they shared strengths. Plural leadership. And then the third thing I want you to note here is their responsibility. Slide down to verse 7. It says, For the overseer must be above reproach, as God's steward. Now, what is a steward? Well, a steward was a person who managed the household of someone else. He didn't own it. He was just entrusted with it. And that's what elders do. They take care of something that belongs to God. And that something is the church. And that's why Paul tells the overseers in Acts 20, 28, shepherd the church of God. That's why Peter tells the elders in 1 Peter 5, 2, to shepherd the flock of God. See, when you hear a pastor talking about my church, he is speaking out of school. Because he does not own any part of it. It's God's church. And elders are simply stewards who are managing it for God. And what does that entail? Well, Scripture doesn't give us a a detailed description or job description for elders. But the main analogy is of a shepherd caring for the flock. Which means he stays up long hours watching for their safety. He leads them to fresh pasture. He carries the weak. He seeks the lost. He cares for the wounded and the sick. And it's hard work. 
1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 says, If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, Appreciate those who diligently labor among you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now we can make some few observations about that work. Let me suggest three things that elders primarily do. Number one is feeding. One of the primary responsibilities of a shepherd is to feed the sheep. And the leaders in 1 Thessalonians 5.12 are said to give you instruction. 1 Timothy 5.17 speaks about the elders who work hard at preaching and teaching. And one of the qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy 3.2 is that he must be able to teach. Now, teaching is a gift. So every elder may not have the gift of teaching, but every elder must be able to counsel and teach and instruct other people because part of his job is feeding. A second thing he does is protecting. In Acts chapter 20, Paul tells the elders in verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Why? Because savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, it says that leaders keep watch over your souls. They're to protect. And then the third aspect is that they are leading. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12, it says that they have charge over you in the Lord. Elders are in charge. 1 Timothy 5, 17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Elders are to rule And one of the qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy 3, 4 is that he must be one who manages his own household well. Why? Because Paul says, if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? The authority of the church lies with the elders. And that's why we don't vote about everything around here. You say, well, that's not American. Maybe not, but it's biblical. You see, the elders have the responsibility to rule and to manage and to lead. And before you form an anarchy, let me underline how this leadership is to be carried out. And for that, I want you to just to look real quickly at 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. Peter says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Here's Peter, an elder, exhorting elders. And what does he say? Verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God among you. Shepherd the flock. Now, how do you do that? Well, he tells them three ways. Number one, you have to have the right attitude. Verse 2, Not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Secondly, he gives the right motive. The end of verse 2. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not for what you can get, but for what you can give. And then thirdly, he gives the right method in verse 3. Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Elders don't shout down orders from above. They lead by example. 
Shepherds don't drive sheep. They lead sheep. And that's what elders are to do in the local church. They are to lead by example. A church will never rise above the spiritual tone of its elders because they are leading. And that's why in the New Testament, there's so much said about the qualifications for elders and so little said about their job description. And that's why in chapter 1 here of Titus, verses 6 to 9, deal with the qualifications. Because if you get the right men, you'll get the right job. And then fourthly, I want you to see their appointment. It says in verse 5, and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. These are not some nebulous, undefined group of men. They are recognized as elders. They are given that title, and they are given that responsibility. Now, who appointed them? Well, in the cities of Galatia in Acts chapter 14, Paul appointed them. Here in Titus chapter 1 on the island of Crete, Titus appointed them because he was Paul's apostolic representative. You say, well, we don't have apostles today, so who appoints them? Well, elders do. Or in a church where there are no elders, the people do initially. But the scripture gives us some guidelines for how to determine who the elders are. And there are three. Number one, we're to pray for the leading of God. We're to pray that God would guide us in making that decision. It's not to be made, made on human judgment or human discretion. You don't just say, you, you, and you. You're elders. You pray for God's leading. And the reason I say that is because it says in Acts chapter 14 and verse 23 about Paul and Barnabas, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord. Now if Paul, with an apostolic gift, spent time in prayer and fasting before he chose the elders, then we need to do the same today. And so the first thing to do is to pray for the leading of God. Second thing is to look for people with pastoral hearts. These men ought to have a heart to shepherd the people of God. And how do I know that? Because Paul said to the elders in Ephesus in Acts 20, 28, that the Holy Spirit has made you elders. The Holy Spirit makes men elders. So you see, it's not a matter of appointing them in hopes that they will become something that they're not. It's a matter of appointing people who have already become something they weren't. The Holy Spirit makes them elders. And the evidence of that ought to be a pastoral heart in that individual. And that's why when we are trying to decide for new elders, we ask for your input. Because if anybody ought to see people with a shepherd's heart... It ought to be people who are being shepherded by those individuals. And then there's a third guideline, and that is we measure them by the spiritual qualifications. You see, it isn't enough for a person to volunteer for this position. Their life has to measure up to the standards. And we will see the standards next week in verses 6 to 9. So we've talked about the responsibility of elders to the church 
Let me just spend a moment talking about the responsibilities of the church to the elders. I've picked out four of them. Number one, you are to obey and submit to them. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Elders are to lead. The church is to follow. Now, elders have an awesome responsibility. They are watching over your souls, and they will one day give an account to God for the way that they have led you. And your responsibility is to obey them and submit to them. When you do, Paul says, you make their life more enjoyable and you make your life more profitable. Obey and submit. Second thing, you are to know them. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, Appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. That word appreciate is literally the word to know. And hopefully when you get to know them, you will appreciate them. We normally put the burden on the elders, the pastors, to know the flock. You also have a responsibility to know your elders. Third thing. Honor them. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And 1 Thessalonians 5.13 says, Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. You know, it's easy to take them for granted. It's easy to forget what they've done for us. It's easy to complain about what they haven't done for us. But Paul says we are to honor and esteem those who work hard and rule well. And then a fourth thing we're to do is to love them. Did you catch it in 1 Thessalonians 5.13? Esteem them very highly in love. We don't just give them a word of encouragement once in a while. We don't just give them a little praise once in a while. We are to love them. Because this is not simply a flock. It's a family. And the glue that holds it all together through thick and thin is our love for one another. And so what are our responsibilities to those who are in the place of leadership? Obey them, submit to them, know them, honor them, and love them. Let me just close with two sobering verses for elders. The first is the burden of being an elder. It's, a, it's Hebrews 13, 17. It says, They keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Now, that's a sobering verse. That tells me that as an elder, I have the responsibility to watch over your soul. And that one day I will stand before the Lord and I will not only give an account for my own life, and for the life of my family, but I will have to stand and give an account for you. That's a heavy burden. But Scripture balances that with the blessing of being an elder. There is a promise in 1 Peter 5, 4 that is only for elders. And this is what it says. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown 
of glory. Wow. It's a heavy burden, but it yields a great blessing. Next week, we're going to look at the qualifications for those that are to be elders in the local church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. We thank you for this passage that shows us the kind of leadership that you want in the church. And Father, I take this moment to pray for those who are elders in this church. I thank you for their commitment. I thank you for their work. I thank you for their labor. I thank you for their hearts for the people. And Father, I pray that you would protect them as they form a kind of fence around this church to protect us from the attacks of the evil one. And Father, I pray that by your strength, that fence of godly leadership might stand tall so that this church might accomplish the things that you desire of it in this place. We pray in Jesus' name.